Welcome back to the Running Wine Mom podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Selinski, aka the Running Wine Mom. Today, we have the pleasure of sitting down with an extraordinary woman whose career has spanned the realms of journalism, marketing, and authorship. Joining us today is the talented journalist, author, and marketing executive, Amy Schoenthal. With nearly two decades of experience in the dynamic world of social media marketing, Amy has collaborated with some of the globe's most renowned brands. But her journey doesn't end there. Blending her marketing knowledge with her formal journalism training, Amy approaches storytelling as a means of sense-making, allowing her to shine light on those who have historically been underestimated, yet are diligently working to solve society's most pressing problem. As a prominent contributor of Forbes Women, she has showcased the triumphs and challenges faced by individuals, elevating their voices and empowering others in the process. Today, we'll also explore Amy's experience as a social media strategist, where she artfully crafts clickable hooks and designs strategies and that establish long-term brand goals while fostering meaningful connections and with audiences. And let's not forget, Amy's own journey as an author is on the horizon again for her second book. Her book, The Setback Cycle, is set to release in 2024, explores the stories of resilient leaders who triumph over adversity, inspiring us to persevere in the face of challenges. With a career as diverse and inspiring as hers, I'm thrilled to have Amy here with us today. So without further ado, let's get started with this conversation. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you um, and just learn. I mean, like I was saying earlier, after researching it a little bit, I mean, you are just um, an amazing woman in ju- and just all the stuff. I'm so excited to talk to you about everything that you're doing. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. We're all very amazing in our own ways. So (laughs) literally one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast is just like learning all about these. I mean, it's been predominantly women that I've interviewed and just being like, wow, they really are doing it all. And I'm so proud of everyone (laughs) just doing it. (laughs) Um, So before we get started to start each episode, we have our wine, wine and win of the week segment. This is where we share our favorite bottle of wine or drink, uh, then about something that's been bothering us and celebrate our recent victory. So grab a glass, take a deep breath and let's get started. So what is your wine, W-I-N-E of the week? I know. I'm like, well, it's a little early for wine. I mean, not that that's ever stopped me, but... (laughs) It's five o'clock somewhere. So I guess my wine of the week, which is sort of a self-inflicted wine, so I don't know if I really have any right to be complaining, is that I I keep saying I'm going to have a really relaxing summer and I'm not going to put too much on my plate, but I'm failing miserably at that and I have way too much to do today, tomorrow, and through the rest of this week and into the next few weeks, um, just sort of like sprinting towards a family vacation that we have mid-month. And so I really had all the intention of relaxing and, you know, taking some stuff off my plate this summer. And that hasn't happened, although I have to say it's all really exciting and good things. So it's busy and it's a lot and it's a little overwhelming, but it's like also very exciting. So it is both ends. So that is my self-inflicted wine. <laughs> I definitely understand that. I feel like I'm always like, this week, I'm just not going to do anything. And then I'm like, I don't even know what's happening right now. So bad at that. So <laughs> what, bad at that. What is your win of the week? Um, my win is I, um, well, I'm in talks with about two very exciting opportunities. One is to do social media strategy and ghostwriting for a very prominent CEO of a very big company. And so I love working with executives and founders to, again, like help craft their stories and use social media, use social media as a vehicle to elevate their voices, especially to get attention in the press and, um, you know, across their industry and demonstrate thought leadership. So I work with a lot of executives to do this. And I'm really excited about this one, because not only will I get to do this work, but I'll really learn from her. Um, and so that's my, it's like, obviously I do this as a business, but I also do it because I love learning from people. It's just like another way that I amplify, uh, stories of, of fascinating leaders. And then I guess the other win is that I'm in talks with a really prominent publication that I never thought I would get a byline in. And they're, they might be letting me write something about the setback cycle, which is uh, my book that's coming out. So I'm very, very excited. And it's very, you know, I wish we didn't need external validation. I wish it could all just come from within and we could just gain all the confidence in the world from our own selves. But external validation is really nice. And people at, you know, really credible companies and credible publications acknowledging that the work you're doing is worthy of their support is it's very satisfying. So I always talk about like the imposter syndrome where you're like, I don't, you know, 
what, how did I get this? But then you're like, you, you know, you deserve it. You, should, you earned it. Yeah, you earned it. Um, do yeah. you, do you have a specific wine to share with us this week? Like a specific, like W-I-N-E of the week? Ooh, let me look at my wine. I don't know if you can see, but my wine rack is right over here behind me. <laughs> Ooh, perfect. <laughs> I have a Coppola wine over there, which is obviously wonderful. We love that. There's another wine and I'm I'm blanking on the name. Oh, Hanging Vine Cabernet. I started ordering this wine by the case in the pandemic because it was easier to order things in bulk then and you got like big discounts. And we have just always stored hanging vine in our house um, because it's just such a hit with it's not super expensive and it's such a hit with guests it's also good for just like you know on a Friday night when you're winding down it's it's a good one so that's my that's my wine for you love it and I always like to ask my guests what is one big struggle that you have overcome leading to where you are and what is one thing you're most proud of in your life I don't think I've my struggle has been much different than probably most of the people listening to your podcast, which is I uh, struggled with the idea of becoming a parent while working. Um, I wasn't sure if I was ready. I had no idea how I was going to fit parenthood and caregiving into my career. And I did it, obviously, for all the reasons we do it. And it was hard. It was so hard to find balance. I I was also struggling with like the self-consciousness of returning to work after maternity leave. Does everyone look at me and think that I'm not as dedicated to work anymore? You know, do they look at me and they see someone lugging her pumping bag around and going back and forth to the mother's room during the day? And do they see that as, you know, not being committed to the work that I'm doing while I'm there? Meanwhile, I'm like giving everything to the job because I'm so self-conscious. And so, yeah, I think that's just a struggle that so many of us face, no matter, you know, whether you're in a difficult work situation or you're in one of the most inclusive workplaces imaginable, it is still a struggle no matter where you fall on the spectrum. I totally agree with that. It's like weird going back to work. You're like, I'm so different than I was before, you know, this new baby came and how do you like now what it's just such a, you know and it is looked at you know and I'm I'm a teacher by day um and yeah. so it's like more I guess accepting in the teacher world I feel like than in like the big business world it's probably just a little bit more difficult no I think teachers can probably experience it too um maybe there's more parents who choose teaching as a business um I, I'm in marketing so it was a lot of men and young people. So I was not surrounded by moms, but moms were there. And I think we all have, I think we all have the struggle. It's, it's just a balance. Anytime you're trying to balance more things or add more things to your plate, it's, it's a struggle. And what is something that you're most proud of in your life? Getting a book deal without having like a zillion Instagram followers. Like I, I can't tell you the amount of rejection I went through, through that process. And the rejection was not over the concept. Everyone loved the book. Everyone loved the concept. I have great stories in there and I have great research that is supported by experts and, you know, of all kinds. Um, And everyone loved the concept, but I was rejected from a few publishing houses because they didn't think I had enough of a platform. And that was so sad. And I was, they were like, go out and do some stuff on social media and grow your following before you can come back and get this book deal. But I didn't want to, I don't know, go do some weird stuff and buy a bunch of bots to inflate my following and then decrease my engagement rate. Like, it, I didn't want to do any of that. Luckily, I found an agent and eventually a publisher who believed in the book itself and believed that it would go further than just my platform or my social media world. And so... So we did it. It felt like I beat the odds, but we did it. Yeah, you're doing it. That's so when I started this podcast, I didn't really have like a plan for it. But now one of my plans is to feature authors every month because I have noticed that they have like, like some of these huge authors have like very small social media followings. And I kind of just started doing like book reviews every month. And then I'd like reach out to the authors be like, Hey, would you like to come on? And 90% of the time, they're like, Yes, we want to. And I'm like, why I don't you know not just like why but you know I have imposter syndrome a little bit too but you know to help it it is like to help get their names out and everything and I'm so happy to be able to like have the conversations with them and hopefully get more more people to purchase their books and same with you all right so running wine mom we do fitness parenthood and then we will talk about your um whole self um but what is your favorite way to stay active so I I live in a house and we converted our garage into a gym. 
and I've got a Peloton and I, um, I love cycling. I don't love running. I'm sorry. I try every once in a while to go for a run and I do it here and there, but it's not, it does not give me as much joy as cycling for some reason or doing like a really good arm workout or a leg workout. Um, so yeah, my favorite way to stay active is doing a quick Peloton ride mid, like in the middle of the workday, which is such a nice way to relieve stress and walk away from the laptop and walk away from the meetings. And it's, it's really lovely. And I love that they have all the, you know, 15 minute programming. So you could really like squeeze it in. And then on the weekends, I'll treat myself to a longer, like 45 minute ride um, and do like a 20 minute arm workout. And once a week, eh, not quite once a week, but when we can, my husband and I do like Tabata circuits in the garage. So fun. I love that. It's a it's a fun bonding activity for us old married folks. So who's your favorite Peloton instructor? Oh no, I can't do that. Um (laughs) well I've interviewed a few of them and a few of them are in the book, so I am not choosing a favorite. The two who are in the book are uh, Robin Arzone and Kendall Toole. But I've also interviewed Ashley Pryor, the rowing instructor, and she is like phenomenal. Her story is phenomenal. She's just such an incredible person. Jess Sims, incredible person. She was the first Peloton instructor I interviewed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love all of them. And the PR team at Peloton is amazing. I love the people that I work with there. So I I think from my passion of like really enjoying the product in my home, I reached out and I, you know, started to talk to Peloton instructors. So that, um, led to me developing a deeper relationship with the company and and profiling many of their instructors and telling their stories because they're all so fascinating. People who choose like fitness instruction as a as a career, they've generally sort of like been through something that led them to fitness. So it really does work well with the setback cycle and the the journeys of of founders and leaders that I that I tend to talk about. That's yeah, that's how I actually found out about you was your interview with Ashley. Oh, okay. Prior. Oh, okay. And I'm like Oh, who's this girl? Like she's, you know, and so it's so, I mean, I'm just, I love Peloton as well. And you're right. You just like can't pick one. It's like kind of like whatever mood you're in that day yeah. is what you, um, so yeah, how do my, you- yeah. Yes. My hair is wet for this uh, interview because I squeezed in a 15 minute pop punk ride, like in the half hour I had free before this interview, but I was prepping in my brain of what I would, I was prepping, I promise, but I had to squeeze it in. <laughs> Listen, I, as a health and phys ed teacher, doing exercise before like a big thing is like really good for your brain. It makes you more attentive and, um, more success for it. Oh, that's interesting. So I, I spend my morning usually like writing and get it because my brain is freshest in the morning. So I'll do that at the beginning of the day. And then I tend to work out around, you know, mid morning, like 11 o'clock. So that is my, and then I go into usually a lot of meetings in the afternoon. So that is my sort of routine. So with your busy schedule, how do you stay motivated to maintain your fitness routine? Like I said, it's sort of, it's like a mental health break for me in the middle of the day. Um, I feel better when I work out, even on those days when I'm, oh my God, the other day it was like so hot in New York city, so steamy, so disgusting. I like could not motivate to do anything. I was feeling so sluggish and I just kind of like forced myself to get on the bike and I did a 20 minute like pop ride and I felt so much better after it sounds so cliche. And I didn't think I would feel better. I was just sort of like forcing myself to move because I was feeling sluggish and I wasn't really like doing a very good job on anything I attempted to do. But it really worked. And it gave me that burst of energy that I needed to sort of, you know, I, I probably wasn't a, a plus performance that day, but I, I got a motivate a burst of energy in the afternoon. And that motivated me to, you know, do things better. And that memory now will probably help motivate me to work out when I'm feeling sluggish again, as I inevitably will. I totally agree with that. It always is you're like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And then after you're like, I'm so glad you, you never regret it. Even if you like do the worst workout ever, like you just do a terrible job and you feel like I barely even broke a sweat, like you still feel kind of good because you just moved. Yeah. Um, what's something that you wish you learned earlier in life about your fitness and nutritional health? About fitness? Um, I, I think honestly, it was always a struggle to fit it in to a busy schedule. I always did. I always worked out in the evening. Because that was just easier, like after work, run home, go work out. Um, when I had a kid, that all changed. And then when the pandemic happened, that all changed because I was working from home so much more. And that's when I got into the routine of working out midday. Like I could never do that when I was five days a week in the office. 
And so I think that really helped. And even now, you know, we're sort of in this like hybrid world and I am, you know, I tend to go into an office a few days a week. And so I don't work out every day, but there are, you know, two to three work from home days. And so that's when I can squeeze in in midday and then the weekend days. So it's like a treat when I can now that I've gotten into into the habit of doing it. That's awesome. Um, So let's talk a little parenthood. Can you tell us about your family dynamics? Sure. I have an almost five-year-old daughter and um, right now she's in dance camp. <laughs> she loves ballet and dancing, gymnastics, all that. So she's like very into movement. She's very energetic. I think that's another reason that another thing that motivates me to stay in shape and keep up fitness is so I could keep up with her, frankly, because she's a lot of energy. Um, yesterday or two days ago, we were at the at the park in, in Long Island City, Gantry State Park. And she, we were just at a picnic with friends and all she wanted to do was like flips and cartwheels and handstands. And she was like climbing up my body to do flips, like with my, while I held her hand kind of. And my friends were just like, wow, is it arms day? <laughs> so I was just like holding her. I was like, yeah, this is kind of why I do it. Um, but anyway, I guess my family dynamic, um, I don't know. It's I'm in a heterosexual relationship. I have a husband daughter. We, we split childcare as much as we possibly can. We have full-time childcare luckily. So I do have a babysitter that will pick her up from camp so that when I am done with work, um, you know, we all kind of congregate as a family and we'll make dinner or we'll go out to dinner. And then my husband and I alternate who does bedtime each night, uh, depending on what our schedules are. And yeah, on weekends, we if we work out together, she gets a little TV time. <laughs> if we work out separately, like one of us will hang out with her and do some activity. Like I'll hang out with her while he goes to play tennis. He'll hang out with her while I, um, you know, hop on a, a long bike ride or something like that. So we we have a pretty good, I'm sure there are gender dynamics that filter into our household, but I think we have a pretty good uh, equal division of labor in, in the home. So that's so. great. Yeah. With both of you working, it's so important to have that teamwork and sharing oh, of yeah. responsibilities, which is great. What do you think you were least prepared for in parenthood? The questions. <laughs> yeah. The questions. Oh my God. I am so bad at answering. My daughter is so perceptive. She does not miss a beat. She does not miss a song lyric. Like we were listening to Taylor Swift in the car and she's like, mommy, why is she calling herself the monster on the hill? What does that mean? (laughs) And you're like, I'm not. Like, you know, she doesn't miss it. Oh, she said a bad word. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Like there's bad words in songs sometimes. Like, You think they're going to miss it, but she doesn't miss a beat. And there's just so many questions. I mean, like, mommy, how did that baby get in Malek's belly? (laughs) Like, um... You'll learn about that in health class. It's complicated, but she, I mean, she's pushing. Like, I'm going to have to explain it to her soon, but it's like, yeah, the questions throw me. That's my daughter's in the why phase right now. So I'll be like, yeah, oh, you know, why is this? I'll give an answer. Well, why? And I'm like, try to give another answer, but why? And so her response to some things, she'll just go, because that's why. And so sometimes I just have to end the conversation, just say, just like you say, because that's why, that's why. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I can't keep going on for 30 minutes of you continuously asking me why. Yeah, it's hard. I don't know when this question phase. I mean, I love it. I love that they're so curious and they want all the answers and they, they want to dig further. Like we should all be like that. Um, you know, I, I've definitely taken things at face value many times, but having a kid, like you can't take anything at face value. You really have to think through why everything is the way it is, how it got there. Like we were driving in the car in the car the other day and she just, we were quiet. We weren't talking. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, she just goes, mommy, when did the whole world begin? I'm just like, oh my God, that's like a, a big conversation that I haven't like quite figured out how I'm going to explain to you. Like there's a lot of stuff mixed into that. So I don't, I don't know. And they just think we know all the answers. And I, I mean, I guess that's just, and it's like, uh, I don't. Yeah. But like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. There's big questions and I don't have all the, all the big answers for it. That's for okay. It. We'll get, she'll forgive us. Right. Right. <laughs> like, uh, um, what's one piece of advice you would give other parents? I'm, I'm inclined to say something like make time for yourself and like take care of yourself. But I feel like that's so cliche and everyone says that and everyone knows they should do it, but they don't necessarily do it. Um, maybe I'll take it a step further and say, 
making time for yourself does not mean go take a shower. Like a shower is not self-care. Like go, whether it's exercise, like do whatever like makes you happy. If you want to sit in front of the TV and turn off your brain for an hour, like you do you, but take the time and do something that's going to like, I don't know. I just feel like whenever I have a moment to myself or even like at the end of a, a work day where I'm excited about the work I'm doing, I am such a better parent and I have more patience for her than when I'm frustrated or I haven't like properly done things that make me happy. Like I said, whether it's a 15 minute bike ride or writing an article I'm really excited about or writing my newsletter, like these things, those things sort of like soothe me. And in turn, you know, when that, when my dopamine level is sort of even, I can be a, a much better parent. So really think about what you need and don't do something that others are telling you you need, like a shower or a massage or a spot. Like not everyone needs that. And that's not necessarily going to get it done if that's not what is going to work for you. And I agree. Like I feel like it's like self-care. Like you have to, like you said, go get a massage. You have to – it's like your self-care can literally – be eating cookies in a dark room by yourself yeah like do something that you're just going to be really pumped about doing you could bring your kid with you to that you know that doesn't mean without your kid but do something that you're excited about doing and I also like that you can bring your kid with you too like there's stuff like if you just choose something it kind of does give you like the power of like hey this is what I want to do rather than like this is what I'm doing 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 for everyone else so I do that's that's really that's yeah, good. Like, yeah. Like how often like my husband and daughter will be uh, fighting over what they want for dinner or where they want to eat for dinner. And they look at me and they say, what do you want? And so often I'm just like, I'll be happy if both of you are happy. And I don't necessarily think, I mean, that's probably true most of the time because they're like way more opinion about opinionated about where they want to eat dinner than I am. So maybe that's a bad example, but I'm saying it because I think maybe more often I should be more vocal about what I want and where I want to eat and not just say like, all right, whatever will make the group happy. That's awesome. All right, let's get into some more specific interview questions about you. Um, So to start off, you have a background in journalism, marketing, social media. How do you find a balance between those different roles and how has maybe each area contributed to your approach and your storytelling as well? Well, they all, to me, they all work together. So my sort of overall mission statement North Star is elevating and amplifying the stories of others so that other people can be motivated to elevate their own stories and do the things that they are afraid to or excited about doing. So that is true through all the journalism that I do, all the articles that I write, through the marketing that I do, where I am, you know, helping craft the narratives and craft the stories of companies and founders. And I usually work with people and companies who are doing pretty good work. Um, and, and through my book. Um, so it, it really does all work together. And I think the skills you need translate because I have to be a good listener. I have to interview people and really hear what they have to say. I have to be a good manager, right? Like you have to listen in order to know, know how to manage people and work on a team. And then I have to be able to not only absorb what people are saying to get to the root of their stories, but I have to be able to then articulate it, not back to just them, but to the audience that they're trying to reach. And for me, through my Forbes articles, I know the audience is, you know, women and investors and people looking to be inspired and companies who are looking to learn lessons and get advice and share you know, information with their employees. Like I know that's sort of the Forbes women reader. And when I do, uh, you know, a LinkedIn strategy for an executive or a founder, we talk about like, what's the audience you're trying to reach. And so I take their story and I package it up with the audience in mind. And that's just consistent through all the work that I do. So it's very, um, it's all very complimentary. And so your upcoming book is called The Setback Cycle. It's going to come out in the spring. So exciting. Um, Can you give us like a sneak peek into the book's central theme? What motivated you to explore this concept um, of leaders overcoming setbacks? Like tell us all about it. Of course. Yeah. I have been writing these stories for the past six, seven years. And Through every single story, I just noticed this common theme that when I would be doing interviews, whether face-to-face, via phone, in person, and I would say, you know, tell me about your career journey. And they would start talking, 
and they would be going through the motions and giving me the background. But the moment that they lit up and got so excited about what they were saying was the part of the story where they told me how they worked through a setback. And the more you interview people, the more you notice trends and themes and and common, I guess, styles. And I was like, why does this happen to everyone? Because it was more than just like, oh, you learn from your mistakes or, oh, like, you know, if it was a trauma, like post-traumatic growth leads to innovation. And like, there's a little bit of that, of course, that filters into it, but it, it just seemed like it was more than that. And so I started talking, once I noticed it, I couldn't unsee it. And then I started seeing it more and more. And I started interviewing people about this phenomenon. So I talked to a bunch of psychologists, some executive coaches, a neuroscientist and others, uh, you know, some authors, people who have touched on this research in their work, but or touched on research that supports this in their work, but they didn't like go super deep into the concept of setbacks. And so I kind of collected all that information and I came up with a framework that is the setback cycle. And once I came up with the framework, that's when I came up with the name for the book. And so it's the cycle that we go through. And I have um, probably about a dozen stories of founders, most of them who I met through profiling them for Forbes. And then I reached out to interview them for the book, but they go through a four-phased framework when you enter a setback through when you emerge from it. And that that cycle can last years. It can last five minutes. <laughs> like no two setbacks are alike. And there's personal ones, of course, professional ones, and societal ones. So it's really, I mean, you know, I have 60,000 words on this, so I could go on and on. But that's the basis of the book. And it's meant to inspire you through the stories of leaders who work through their own setbacks and how they got to the other side and how they work through the cycle. But also it's, it gives you the tools and some exercises and activities so that you can confidently work through your own inevitable setbacks. I am like obsessed with that. That's amazing. I mean, it is so true because you see people who are at, you see people when they're at their end result and you don't necessarily yeah. know what they did to get there. And it's like, that's, that's so important for people to understand maybe like, how do I get past this? And that's just wonderful that you're. That's what I dug into. That's what I've spent the last few years figuring out. And I, yeah, it, it works. It has been pressure tested and people who have, um, people who have read the manuscript to date or have, you know, explored little pieces of it in, in ways that I've sort of pressure tested it. Um, it is supported anecdotally and through research. That's awesome. I'm excited to read it when it comes out. Um, and then you also announced that you'll be doing some speaking engagements and workshops to walk mm-hmm. through career setbacks. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So I took the framework and I packaged it into a workshop because so many people right now are going through career setbacks, whether you were recently laid off because there have been so many layoffs, or if you're a part of a team or an organization that was just impacted by layoffs or restructuring, you're sort of trying to figure out, well, what's next for me? How can I maybe see this as an opportunity, but also like half my team is gone and I don't really want to do 15 jobs. And so I, I took some of the most relevant pieces of the framework and I packaged it into a few different types of workshops. One is like an organizational workshop where I go into corporate offices and I talk to people about how they can work through a setback collectively together and emerge uh, the other side. And it's based on, you know, what are their individual superpowers? How can they work together? Um, You know, how, why are they being impacted by this and like getting to the root of it, things like that. And then we go into some scenario planning, like, okay, this happened, what do we do? And if this happens, what do we do? And so it's been pretty effective. I also did one for a a group called Luminary, and that's a network. It's a professional network for people, um, you know, C-suite, founders, corporates, um, and people, you know, in the power middle and everywhere in between. And so I did a workshop for them. And since that that was such a jumble of, of different people, we talked more about like the individual. And, you know, if you are going through a setback, here's how to identify it. Here's how to figure out where you're at in the cycle, which phase you're in, and then how to work through it for for you based on your individual needs. And a lot of them were people who had been laid off and, and wanted to figure out why they were struggling to get to that next phase. So um, yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people have probably been in that cycle in the last, you know, three years, and Absolutely. this is going to be so helpful. Um, so can you share any of your setbacks, any career or life setback that you found that you worked through? Yeah, I'm a parent, so I have about 15 setbacks a day before I get my kid out the door to school or camp. Um, you know, there's there's bedtime setbacks, right? We get into a really good groove and then bam, the whole routine is just totally in shambles. Um, so I think there's a lot of parenting setbacks and where you have to sort of restart the cycle. Um, career setbacks, like I think I kind of shared in the beginning of this interview that I felt like my career setback was when I became a parent because I had so much trouble navigating the shift and figuring out my place, despite having a fairly supportive team and uh, being at a very inclusive workplace. I I struggled. I, I really had a little bit of an identity crisis. And when I talked to other moms, like 100% of respondents said they also had an identity crisis from, you know, like I said, the most rigid of workplaces to the most flexible of workplaces. It's just, it's a tough transition to navigate no matter where you fall along the spectrum. I agree with that. Um, and so this book is not going to be your first book. You had uh, the A Magical Day in Sunnyside. That yeah. was that um, just recently a year old. Yes, yes. Yesterday was the book anniversary of A Magical Day in Sunnyside. That's a children's book that I self-published. It's a book about my local community of Sunnyside Queens, and I partnered with another Sunnyside mom who's an illustrator. I wrote the. It's like a little rhyming book, and it. It's about the small businesses of our neighborhood. And so these two little girls have to go hunt for fairy magic and they search through all the local stores and each page is honors a local business and the person who either works at it or, or runs it. And it's really, it's just a celebration of our community. And it was just such a, I think the best day was when Kate, the illustrator and I went around and surprised everyone because we didn't tell anyone about this book. <laughs> we like, we were like little Santa Clauses, just going around and giving, you know, we printed out like her illustrations of all the business owners and the businesses and the and the restaurants and the vintage stores and the record store. And um, yeah, we got, we spread joy and tears throughout the community that day. And it was fantastic. And yeah, it was one year ago yesterday, it was July 31st, 2022. Congrats. That's awesome. Yeah. And that is such like a good ode to like your community. And I feel as though anything like in, we have a lot of stuff kind of like county wise um, specific and I'm always like, oh, I want to get this, you know, because my, yeah. my daughter starts to recognize stuff even though she's little and it's just so fun to, um, you know, like experience that. So um. yeah, no, it was amazing. I mean, it was like quite a feat to get it done, but we got it done. And once we were on the other side of that, it was great. <laughs> so I want to get a little bit into the social media and marketing um, aspect. Um you know, I feel like it's, it's ever evolving. And like through your career, I'm sure it's evolved as well. And how do you stay like adaptable and in, in the industry? Like, how do you, how do you stay up on the trends and help your, the companies that you work with get the best out of basically what you're offering for them? There's a lot of information out there. And there's a lot of people that I'm connected to who are, really not afraid to go experiment with new technologies when they emerge. I'm, I'm more in that camp. Like I'm just not afraid to test things out. And I also am very good at acknowledging when I don't know something. So when clients hire me, I can say, you know, I am not sure how to advise you on how to use AI for your business, but here are some ideas. Here are some ways we can, you know, test out the impact of this technology and see if it, can, again, be additive to what we're doing or maybe a distraction, maybe, you know, maybe not. Um, I know some people are using AI as like a search engine and some are using it to like fully, you know, come up with presentations and, and things like that. And um, I know someone who was just introduced at a conference and the person who introduced her used AI to write her bio and she, it was like so wrong. So do not, my, my, Digital marketing tip for those of you using AI, please read it and edit it and fact check it because it is not perfect. So it needs a human touch. Um, but that's, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm an expert in AI. I'm not. Most people are not, but I'm experimenting with it. Same with, you know, when Web3 and NFTs were all the 
rage and everyone was like, what is this? It's so complicated. I just reached out to people who were doing the work and figuring it out. And I talked to them and then I started figuring it out on my own. You know what I mean? And so it's like, you have to be, you know, you have to rely on your community, go to the experts. Don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to test it out yourself. Um, that, that's how I began my career in social media. Like in 2009, I was working with Procter & Gamble brands, and they were all sort of hesitant about getting their brands on Facebook and Twitter. And so I was the person who raised my hand and said, let's figure it out. And I did it. And that's what sparked most of the last, you know, 15 years of my career. So yeah, it's just another vehicle for storytelling. And then like, how do you balance the short-term engagement with long-term brand objectives for your clients? That's so bespoke to each client. I mean, there's no one size fits all. But I think I, you know, if a client were to ask me that, I would say, what are your priorities? And let's just build from there, right? If your priorities are get a short-term boost in sales because you're launching a product, great. And then if your long-term goals are to build brand awareness, let's make sure that this big launch we're doing is, you know, filtering into that long-term goal and not, you know, totally separate. And that's why I, I work with brands to like shape their whole narratives. So then when you're doing smaller launches or you want to, you know, communicate a certain message or you're partnering with some influencer or some external partner, you always have some sort of guideline to go back to. Yeah, it's so, I mean, the whole social media thing is just so interesting because I love just like posting and then I'm gained yeah. a lot of followers, but then like sometimes I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I did. Like people will reach out and be like, how did you get these? I'm like, I literally don't know. I just post. And then sometimes the things I work the most hard on get like very little views. And then the things yeah. I work the least hard on gets like insane. It's so interesting to me. Anyway, um, so you are a writer for Forbes Women, and um, one thing mentioned in your description is that you write about how today's most extraordinary founders and leaders persevere through setbacks. Can you talk about the importance of this? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the common theme throughout everyone that I write about is that they are the ones who are the visionaries. They have a clear vision of what needs to be done and they're doing the work to make that vision come to life. So they're like shaping society for the better in some way. So like right now I'm working on an article about the skim, Carly and Danielle's the skim and Reshma Saujani, uh, who is the founder of Girls Who Code. Now she uh, does Moms First. They have partnered to create something called Show Us Your Child Care. And they are pushing not only people to, to share how they cobble together child care, and they are pushing companies to do more in terms of subsidizing child care for their employees. And they're, you know, when I, I interviewed all three of them and I interviewed a few other folks and I, um, you know, I covered Show Us Your Leave when they were pushing for paid, paid um, parental leave a couple years ago. They want to make sure everyone realizes that childcare is not a caregiver issue. It's not a woman's issue. It is an economic issue. The um, Boston Consulting Group just did a study that estimates that the U.S. GDP stands to lose almost $300 billion if we don't solve the child care crisis. $300 billion is like a figure that I can't even wrap my head around. But there are such economic uh, casualties to preventing regular families from getting access to affordable care. And, you know, it obviously impacts women dis disproportionately because women are the default caregivers in most families. And so a lot of people make the decision, you know, parents spending 40% of their income on childcare, a lot of people make the decision that, hey, we can't afford to work. We actually cannot afford to work. So what happens? The default caregiver, the woman, leaves the workforce. And I think the family, the family stat, I don't have it in front of me, but I think the total lost earnings for the average family is like $9 million. <laughs> it's crazy. My daughter is two and a half and my son just turned one. And so I, you know, witness, I, I have lots of friends who are just having babies and um, I'm sure, you know, you did as well, where it's like, well, now what do we do now that we have to go? First of all, the, you know, parental leave is like non-existent. My, in, 
I, te- I work in New Jersey. My sister works in Pennsylvania, and I got 12 weeks of paid leave, which was nice. She mm. didn't get any in Pennsylvania. What? Yeah, it's like, I mean, she she did, but it was unpaid, like mm-hmm. unpaid leave. Um, and I'm just like, how we, and we're very lucky to have my husband's parents watch our kids because mm-hmm. they're retired. But like, if we didn't, it would have to be a decision made because we can't afford to pay, you know, $2,500 a month for childcare. It just doesn't, again, make sense for one of us to, you know, for me yeah. as a teacher to work essentially. And that's just like really upsetting. And it's so many people have to like pick and choose, like you said, a career or we, we want to have children. So like now I'm going to have to give my career up for that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a declining birth rate for a reason. And this is the reason people are afraid to have children because they don't think they can afford it. And they're right. They can't afford it. And it's a big decision. Um, it's also the reason I think a lot of families are choosing to only have one kid over two versus, and two versus three. So like there's a declining birth rate and that's go- again, going to be an economic problem and we better solve it now. And I, um, before I had my daughter, I had read the book, um, bringing up Bebe and it's about mm-hmm. the way the Parisians kind of like raise their kids. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that like stuck with me was how the children's, um, like daycare for kids is income based. So you pay basically percentage of your income. And I'm like, what? I mean, I just don't understand why that's not the, uh, the general way that we do this because, you know, someone making minimum wage versus someone making millions of dollars, like they shouldn't have to pay the same amount. And then they shouldn't have to choose to have a less or less opportunity. We, after world war two, or during World War II, I think there was childcare subsidies because um, the, most of the men were at war and the women had to take jobs and the government subsidized childcare. Then that led to the 1950s where it was very much like the woman was at home doing all the caregiving and housework. And so it was almost like, we got there, we did it, we figured it out. But then we took it away because women's labor is the um, economic safety net that we have in the U.S. Yeah, um, uh, I could go on and on about that. It's so like, it's just so... So depressing. It's so depressing. But anyway, the point being, I'm trying to get the story out there of the people who are trying to change this, both within the private sector with businesses subsidizing childcare in certain ways, and then also at the federal and local government level, because it's not... Like I said, it's not a private sector problem. It's not a government problem to solve. It's everyone's problem to solve. And, you know, culture informs business decisions. Business decisions inform, um, you know, policy. And everyone is obviously impacted by each other. So it's, um, you know, we kind of need everyone to pitch in if we're going to have any shot at solving this. Yeah, it's important to get. And I do feel like it's not talked about enough, the struggles that it's so you are doing a wonderful thing by getting it out. Um, So, you know, as you mentioned in your writing, you interview people who are making big societal contributions and like making big changes or have done big changes. Well, first of all, were you like, is that a position that you wanted to be in or that you were kind of of just fell into as your writing? So I, (laughs) big secret, writers don't make a lot of money writing. So writing is a hobby for me. Right. Even at, uh, you know, as my role as a contributor to Forbes, I get paid, but a a very little bit. And so when I started getting pitched by a lot of people and all these opportunities started opening up, like I was being asked to interview, you know, celebrities and politicians and influencers and like really amazing people. But like I said at the beginning of this interview, I had to set some boundaries because my time was getting pulled in a lot of different directions. I want to say yes to everything. I want to tell every story. I can't. I only have so much time. And like I said, I have to find other work that that pays my mortgage. So it's um it's a balance. And so what I did in order to set that boundary was I said, okay, if I'm going to spend my time and effort writing about a founder or a leader or an organization or some sort of trend where I quote founders and leaders and organization or executives at organizations, they have to be impacting society in some positive way. That's why I do this, right? And and that just became my overall, like I said, that became like my little mission statement to to drive every decision that I make. How am I going to spend my time? Like I will write this story because I think it will have an impact on culture, on society. Um, I will not write that story because even though that's a great beauty product. 
and I would love for you to send me free samples. Like I'm not going to spend my time writing a, a story about beauty products. Like it's just not my, it's not my area of expertise. There's plenty of people who do that. And it's, it's not to me based on my personal filter, it's not worth my time and effort because like I said, it's really more of a hobby than a, than a career, the writing, or at least for now, we'll see if, see if that changes. But for now, that's sort of the filter I have to put on it. Do you have a favorite um, interviewer story that you've done? I know that's probably also like choosing your favorite Peloton instructor. Um, I could tell you this. The interview I was most nervous about was when I interviewed Senator Maisie Hirono. She's um, the senator from Hawaii, and she's had a really interesting life. Um, Her family came from Japan when she was a little girl. And she, um, I mean, she's done a lot. She's had like such a huge impact. She was also like very vocal during the Trump administration. And so she kind of rose to prominence there. And it was really the first time I had interviewed a politician of her caliber. And I was so nervous. (laughs) I was so nervous. This was probably about two years ago. And I, but then I've interviewed other people now at her caliber and I like, I'm fine because I, you know, got through the first one, but I don't know. I was just, I was so nervous about that one. Um, and like, I don't know, put me in front of a celebrity and it's fine. But for some reason, the Senator, that one got me. (laughs) Some of, you know, obviously the Peloton instructors, you've interviewed a bunch of them. And the one thing that when I was reading your article with Robin, um, I, I guess like I kind of knew, but didn't realize that she was the first instructor to go on maternity leave during. She was the first one to publicly go on maternity leave. Publicly. Okay. So like that was interesting to, you know, to hear her response about like making a good, because I feel like after she got pregnant, there was like a bunch. They all got pregnant. I know because she sort of, she normalized it and she said, yes, I can be a fitness instructor who then grows a big belly publicly and still lifts weights. And then wears crop tops and still goes to burning man. You know what I mean? And then like, that was sort of like a, I think she got some backlash for that. Like people didn't like seeing that. And she was kind of like, no, like I have built my, you know, I have built up my strength. I am very comfortable lifting weights. And so obviously she's worked with medical professionals to confirm this, but like she could still do all of this while pregnant and she could still lead classes and she could lead Tabata classes and hit classes while visibly pregnant. And I think that was really inspiring to a lot of people, especially a lot of women who were told, you know, take it easy during pregnancy. Meanwhile, you should sort of be training and like strengthening yourself for like the very big finale of what happens at the end of pregnancy. Like it's, it's good to be strong at that time of your life. Something that I'm so like glad the, especially, you know, Peloton is such like a big platform and the instructors are like, no, you can do this. Cause I remember when I was pregnant with my first, um, I had, I had a virtual interview with my doctor for it because it was March of 2020. And, um, he's like, yeah, just don't get your heart rate over 140 when you're working out. And I'm like, but like, I literally work out pretty much every single day, like hard workout. And he's like, oh, okay, then you're fine. And I'm like, well, which one is it? Like I do, can I get my heart rate up to 170, which is my normal heart rate? Or yeah. like, should I be, can I still lift the same amount of weight? He's like, yeah, just don't try anything new. I'm like, this yeah. isn't very helpful. But like they, they but- go in with the default of like, take it easy and don't, don't move. And you're like, oh, but then you find out if you've been doing this a while, like you can continue just, yeah, don't like go further <laughs> at this time. The Ash Pryor was one, the one that I kind of found you from. And she's like breaking, you know, barriers with her just strength and like rowing. Yeah. And that I thought when I actually took a class at the Peloton studio, I ran into her and I was like, I was like, oh, can, can we take a picture? So like I take a picture, I'm ready to go take a picture in my, um, selfie camera wasn't on selfie it was like the other way I was like I'm like oh sorry like can I just switch it and she's like girl it is women's history month stop saying sorry when you got to switch something just switch it (laughs) tell me you're switching it and that's it and I was like okay you're right like um, yes I'm just gonna switch my camera to be in selfie but you know it was just a really for the short uh, you know experience that I had with her um so I will always remember that and like, like just stop saying, sorry, just do it. What you want, want to do as a woman. And I love that. Yeah. She's a very inspiring person. I love her. She, um, I interviewed her at the Peloton studio, like right before they launched the rowing or they had, they had some rowing classes on demand and she took me over to the showroom and she showed, like she had me get on the rower (laughs) 
<laughs> she did like a, a like mini personal training session. It was like so funny because I was giggling the whole time. And um, yeah, she had to correct me a lot, but it was really fun. <laughs> she was a, she's a delightful human. Yeah, delightful. she seems so awesome. Okay, so you have answered so much. Um, we've learned so much. You are just, you have so much on your plate. So I, I appreciate you taking the time out to even have this interview with me. Um, but, you know, besides your book coming out in March, what um, are your future plans? What exciting, any other exciting projects or goals you have on the horizon um, in your business besides? everything else you're already doing. <laughs> well, I do a lot of ghostwriting. And part of that is keeping my clients a secret because when they're writing stuff and post and you know, sharing it publicly, you don't know that I actually wrote it for them. <laughs> so I have to keep that quiet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I never knew there was like a ghostwriting like thing in social media. I was like, Oh, this is so interesting. Yeah, it's more for like LinkedIn, but you know, lengthy LinkedIn posts that then lead to bigger articles and things like that. It all kind of works together. But yeah, I have a lot of exciting ghostwriting clients that I'm very excited to work with. I, I'm also I I have my idea for my second book, and I'm already working on it with my agent. So I finished one book; it's not even out yet. I'm picking out cover designs right now, and I'm already working on the in the beginning stages of the proposal for my second book. So yeah, I got a lot of I got a lot of material, so I'm excited to share it with the world. Well, I am so excited to read about the the book and all of your stuff. The, the setback cycle is, I think, something that everyone can definitely benefit from. Um, like you said, no matter if it's a five-minute setback or a five-year setback. So um, that'll be really exciting. All right. So I guess that's going to wrap up another episode of the Running Wine Mom podcast. A huge thank you to our guest, Amy, for sharing her incredible journey and insights with us today. Um, your dedication to storytelling and empowering others is truly inspiring and we can't wait to see the impact of your upcoming book, The Setback Cycle, which comes out in March 2024. Um, please follow Amy's journey at Amy Show on Instagram to find out about all her upcoming endeavors and projects. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the Running Wine Mom podcast and leave a review. You can also follow me on Instagram at the Running Wine Mom underscore. So thank you, Amy. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. You're great at this. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, and remember, you are strong, you are capable, and you are all amazing. Until next time, keep running, keep sipping, and keep embracing the joy of motherhood. Cheers, and I'll be back next Tuesday.